Get on the funky train, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're listening to Grace Geltman and Weld on the Hammer Factor. Take it away, boys. All right, welcome to Hammer Factor episode, what are we at here, 65. My name is John Grace, producer here of the show. On the horn with me, we have policy director for the Outdoor Alliance, Lewis Geltman, and owner, co-founder of Immersion Research, John Weld. Fellas, it's been a while. Welcome back. Yeah, a little bit of a summer break there, huh? Yeah, what have you guys been doing? Went and got the microphone out of uh, out of the pawn shop. <laughs> <laughs> I, we've been I've been not boating. I could say that. And the white salmon is at one five, not not the tiniest hair above one five. Oof. It's gonna be. I'm I'm calling it right now. I've called this for months. That by this fall, it's gonna be lower than any of us have ever seen it. It's like it is as low right now as it was in the dog days of October, and it's not even August yet. Well, the green's at about nine inches, maybe a little higher, and we've got five inches of rain in the forecast starting on Wednesday. So, how are, how are housing prices in Nashville? Not friendly. Not friendly. Mm. All right. Well. <sighs> We got an exciting show lined up here for you guys. So, are we going to get back on some kind of routine here? Where are we at? Talk to me. I can't. I can't get an email back from you, John. Lewis, you're me. off kayaking all the time. I mean, what are, we owe something to Hammer Factor Nation here. Right. Here's what we're going to do. Here's the plan. Light on me. We're going to do. We're going to do twelve. We're going to. We're going to lock in twelve episodes this year. Right, and we're going to release them on the first day of the month. I like it, and then we should we should we should also not promise, but a lot for a few special editions as events arise. We can pull that off. I think we can do that, Lewis. I like it. I hope we're not over promising here, but. 12 all we've done is promise 12 oh no shows. i believe i believe we can do 12 I'm, I'm the first of the month thing is a little uh a little worrisome for me but i think we'll make it happen well scanning through the listener mail here it looks like about half of them are directed towards you lewis so you have to be in on this yeah yeah no i'm in i need somewhere to vent my left-wing political views what do you right. got huh what do you got I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure it'll come out later <laughs> in the natural course of things. Uh, so tell me about your observations, John. I'm reading through our show notes here. Tell me about some observations of paddling in the gorge, other than there's no water. Well, I've been here. I've been here uh, almost a full year, and uh, I, I'm still learning a lot. But there's definitely some differences between paddling out here and then paddling out east. Okay. No question. For one thing, there's water out east. <laughs> That'd be A. And it's a weird thing because there is a time here where the boating stops. And maybe in good years is later than others, but it just stops, right? There's just nothing left to do. But out east, it could rain any weekend. That's always been the case, though, right? 
Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, we, it's, like, I, it's like you exist without hope here in the summer. Right. So I flew back east a couple of weeks ago, and we, I boated like six out of six days. Just everything was running. The day I left, the upper yacht was running seven and a half feet. <laughs> upper black was running 4,500 CFS. <laughs> the connoisseur's level. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we, we ran the upper one day at like three and a half feet one day, right? And uh, you come back here and there's nothing going on. Um, also, I have to bring something up. Uh, you know, when we did have – everyone's talked about how you paddle out here. The water is so deep. Like everything's deep, right? So I got a brand new mock now. Um, I paddle it once on the little white, Right? No problem. The second time I took it, like three days later, paddled a little white again, knocked a hole in the stern. <laughs> right? Knocked a hole in the, in the, in the boat that was paddled Not twice. Not through. You just dented it. It was very, and it was all but through. Wah. So I started, I, I thought this was a remarkable event. I started telling people, hey, I knocked a hole in my boat after two days. They're like, yep. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think I had the same... Hydra Mustang for like two decades on the East Coast. <laughs> right? Oh. My brap looks as good as new. There's, I mean, it's it could last another 10 years probably. Oh. And I come to find out that you can paddle a boat out here about four or five months. So we go to build a skirt rack at our shop here. And I'm like, I got to call Snowy and get some uh, cockpit rims. And Max is like, no, 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 no. We can get cockpit rims. I'm like, yeah. Ten minutes later, there's like 45 <laughs> broken boats on our loading dock around town. I'm like, okay, we need four. I don't need, I don't need a, a two dozen. So there's that. I, I mean, and you talk about stern taps, which was sort of an abstract concept, but to me, it's like I, now I'm like, this stern tap's going to ruin my boat. <laughs> the rocks are a little more vicious. They are for sure. So no question about it. However, there is some pretty remarkable paddling. That is when is when there is water, it's pretty remarkable. Well, to be fair, it's been raining since April of last year. Right here. I mean, that's no joke. It's been no, raining since April of last year. Not April that just went by, but the year before. It hasn't stopped raining to right now. Right. So it can't last like that forever. Or maybe this is the new norm. I mean, who knows? Well, what was the level when you when you tapped your stern? <sighs> Two eight, maybe. See, there's your problem right there. You can't you can't whinge about the northwest not having water when and the rocks being sharp and breaking your boat when you're running a little way to two eight. I gotta stand up for. I broke a boat. Homeland that was out two here. days old. You didn't break it. <laughs> two days old. The dent was as, as seriously as big as a toaster. I mean, it was gigantic. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And the the, 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 the gouge you put in the stern was, was, I mean, a millimeter from going through the boat. <clears throat> I'm just saying. Too late. Too yeah, late. it was too low. No question. I wouldn't do it that low again. I, I, I'm not going to lie about that, but still. What's your, what's your minimum? What's your cutoff, Lewis? I'd go too late. I'm about three feet, man. I think that's about. I used to be. That used to be my cutoff, and then I don't know. Time's got grim out here. <laughs> we we moved out here, and all the water evaporated. Oh man. I would like to. I I went up to uh, I went up to the Callahan 
just like spent some time up the Cedar Sky a couple weeks ago. I went to the Callahan race, which is awesome. Just like super fun teams race. Um, just like super good community. And the, cla- the Callahan is just such a all-time classic section of Whitewater. But the water, you know, per the water was pretty low up there. And I have to say, I'm ready to hand off the the crown for crustiest community about water levels from the gorge to the boys in bc those guys will whinge about the water level when it's like like anywhere else people would describe it as like flood <laughs> like, <laughs> like they would come down here and be like ah oh, the little white's four feet i guess like <laughs> so that's so true congratulations to you guys <laughs> so Liz, when you go up there where are you camping at is everybody is it like a communal setup how does it work if somebody wanted to come up to the callahan race uh, for the Callahan race, there's like a big party, it, kind of like a big turnout, just a little down the road from the the takeout. There's a lot of people still camping most of the summer in the parking lot at the Chakamas. I think things got a little tenuous up there for a while. Like there's a bunch of million dollar condos with crusty million dollar house owning <laughs> types whinging about kayakers living in the parking lot up there. But I think what happened is it turned out that it's actually crown land. So they can't actually evict the kayakers. So it seems like things have cooled out a little up there, but I don't know. I wouldn't want to like encourage a bunch of people to go up there when things are a little tenuous. I don't know. Just if you go up there, just be cool. I don't know. Ask around. Dude, I say go up there, make your presence yeah, I mean, known. Yeah, Let's yeah. colonize the place. Although the Callahan's out of water. Um, we got to start moving more north as the climate soon. changes anyway. So soon right. we got to like claim some of that stuff. It's changed so much up there. Like just the no- amount of people, I mean, not kayakers, but just uh, like people from Vancouver who are up there on the weekends, especially now it is like, it is madhouse. It's crazy. The last ski resort in the country is going to be rebel Stoke. That's my prediction. <laughs> Why is that? That'll be the last a, one that has snow. Yeah, it's a, yeah the last you just circle around the interior of Canada until that's it. <laughs> so, and, and the other thing is the scale of boating. To get back to what I was saying earlier, the scale of boating out here is on so much bigger scale. It's it's to me it's like paddling out east is like paddling or is like skiing really good resort skiing, and kayaking out here is like backcountry touring. It's just a much bigger scale. Yesterday, so yesterday I'm trying to hike it. Someone said. There's really uh, there's this really steep creek. It's called like the West Fork of May- Mayor Mayor Creek. West Fork of Mayor Creek. You know what I'm talking Major? about? Major Creek. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like I'm gonna go hike it and see this thing. In Appalachia, you'd be like, okay, it's you know an hour hike down to the River Gorge. You screw around, see what's going on. So I st- I, I drive up here. I find a place to park. I start hiking and the wilderness out here is kind of intimidating. About 10 minutes in, I step on a bee's nest. I got stung like 30 times running out of there, <laughs> get back to my car. <laughs> I try a reassault a little farther up the road and you just, you start hiking and you finally get to this expanse of a gorge. It's gigantic. Right. Um, and you realize it's going to take you like climbing equipment in four hours and who knows what <laughs> poison oak and rattlesnakes, everything else to get down to this thing. And you kind of throw in the towel. This is a very different scale of, of adventure out here. Me and, uh, me and Nate claim I went for a, a pilgrimage up to the headwaters of the little white a couple weeks ago yeah i don't know it's probably like a four or five mile out hike out and then about a, a mile of bushwhacking up this nondescript knob out in the middle of the indian heaven wilderness to the point that nate had identified 
with GIS is the highest point of the drainage. Went and surveyed the drainage and made some offerings to the rain gods in hopes of a strong winter. Hmm. All of the mosquitoes that are not hanging out down here in the gorge because of the wind are apparently <laughs> living up there in the Indian heaven wilderness, I can report. <laughs> Did you guys day trip that? Yeah. Yeah, I've not seen mosquitoes that thick in years. It would not be not be a good camping spot. I got a wild water boat. Oh. A Millennium. You guys ever heard of the Millennium? It's my that's my pick. That's my top attaining boat of all time. Is it? So I got one. Yeah. And the last time I paddled one was with you, Weld. Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, you that love was a paddling you, high point. You love you love that, don't you? Were you wait wait. Is it if I remember correctly, this is a trip where you swam attaining Dimple. Dimple, that's what it was. People ask me all the time which rapid it was, and I knew it wasn't Cucumber, but it was Dimple. Yeah. Dude, it was scary as hell. I couldn't roll that thing to save my life. was washing up on rocks. It almost pinned. I thought I was going to break it. But anyway, I'm back in the game now. So I hope, I, this, <laughs> I hope this gives solace to every learner out there who's swam at Dimple probably like this week. Right. <laughs> Oh, dude, I got hammered at Dimple. It was it was it was brutal. But anyway, I got one of these boats, and I'm I've done it four times now, so I'm making a comeback. So whenever you're ready, Weld, it's a comeback, dude. After a couple days, you can figure it out. It was sure. not a good idea to. And looking back, I'm like, you know what? He purposely sandbagged me on that, knowing that I was going to get my lunch egg. Well, the thing is, is I had this, I was under the impression if you're a really good paddler, you should be able to hop in a downriver boat and attain anything right away. And so I took <laughs> Daniel Delavan out for that, and that was immediately proved to be not the case. I've never seen it. Yeah, he, Daniel was profoundly unhappy with the situation. Let's just put it that way. Uh, uh, so I knew I knew it was not going to work, and that's why I thought it'd be a great idea to take you. <laughs> Sweet, I love that. At least it's yeah. on the table now because, but, but. I'll tell you, it's a quick learning curve, and I'm really starting to kind of enjoy it, especially for attaining. So, yeah. Um, man. All right. So, Lewis, we have not heard from you. Um, how's the new Zinky doing? What's going on in DC? Is everything fucked, or are we back on top? Uh, I don't know. There's so much going on. It's like I feel like it's been so long since we've recorded. I don't even know where to start, but it's definitely been a super busy spring and summer usually things are a lot more chill in the summer than they have been this year but um one thing that may be of interest is we've been doing a bunch of work on the forest plan revisions for the uh grand mesa Compagre and gunnison national forest in colorado the, the gmug and part of that is a wild and scenic river inventory process and aw is working hard on getting a bunch of new uh wild and scenic rivers designated in colorado including like obi joyful uh slate some other manky ass creeks that i don't know that much about but i'm sure you coloradans are real real into um <laughs> there's a yeah. dagger to the heart i mean obi joyful is the cleanest river that's in the state I'm just joking. <laughs> that is not true. Don't. That's even worse than me. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a comment period. That it's it's like kind of a soft deadline that is actually today, not today. By the time you're hearing this, but 
the Forest Service is definitely accepting submissions on a rolling basis for this. So go to AmericanWhitewater.org, check out their uh, their public comment opportunity on this working draft revised plan for the GMUG. There's some opportunities to say a thing or two about some of these rivers, and that would be super helpful. Um, I mean, what is the cleanest run in Colorado? Big South? Big South. Obi Joy. I've never, I've never run Big South. But, I mean, dude, like Vicedo is all time. Vicedo's um, manky. Vicedo is not manky compared to Obi Joyful. I've never run Baker's Box, but that has been uh, all time. Yeah, that's... Big South. Big South could have been like any river in West Virginia. Except... Gore. Gore is all time. You don't like Gore? I mean, it's in the middle of nowhere, but it's sick. But it's as manky as it gets. I mean, it's covered, right. covered up with yeah. water, but I mean, like, if you, if you just yeah. pull a little water out, it's mank heaven. Yeah. Well, I'm you with can say about any river. I mean, no. the Little White's mank heaven if you're out there at 2A. Agreed. That's my whole point. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think Obi Joyful is one of the cleanest creeks in the state. Your boat is touching rock like the entire time. Not if you go at the right level. I don't know. We need to Whatever. get the guys on from the OB Joyful race and see how that went. Whatever. Big... You still want to get it designated as Wild Scenic, so go comment. <laughs> the, big, the Big South is where where I finally understood why all these people were wearing dry tops out west. Because previous to that, I didn't really paddle out west at all, and I'd always see people wearing dry tops in Colorado in the summer. I'd be like, those guys are such pussies. <laughs> And I put on. I saw a guy I, wearing pogies on the middle yesterday. <laughs> and I, I, we got to the put in. I had a shorty with me. And someone said, "You better bring a dry top." And I stuffed one in the back of my boat. It was actually a show sample. We were on the right back from a trade show, and uh, and we got to the put in. And I was like, "Holy shit, it's freezing!" <laughs> I took the dry top out. All right. Well, since we said every river in Colorado was manky and called everyone who paddles their pussies, let's move on before, <laughs> before we dig any deeper hole here, Lewis. I'm saying yeah. the Big South was not manky, and I'm saying they were not pussies for wearing a dry top. Okay. <laughs> that's not, what, clear on that's not what I got. But anyway, go on. Oh, man. Poor Colorado. <laughs> Those guys are laughing all the way to the high water bank right oh, now. Dude, we're sitting I... here whinging about low water middles and stern taps and those guys are in high water heaven i just got out just got done with a family vacation to tell you ride and let me just tell you there's still like 10 feet of snow up above thirteen thousand feet i mean it's i've never seen anything like it that's awesome they deserve it they're getting it um so anyway, uh, we had a, there was like a bunch of new protective designation bills introduced that we're jazzed about. There's like three in California, um, Central Coast, uh, Northwest California bill, and a San Gabriel's bill. All of them have some wild and scenic river components to them. Um, do a nice job of kind of like balancing bike protections with new wilderness designations. Good bills. Uh, they all had a hearing along with uh, Wild Olympics, which has a bill to protect the Olympic Peninsula. And there's a ton of wild and scenic stuff in there. Tom O'Keefe has done a ton of really good work on that. That was pretty close to making it into the public lands package last go around. We didn't get it, but we're kind of like, I don't know, just kind of back at the beginning in terms of pulling together 
you know, worthy protective designations bills, thinking about what the next public lands package might look like that look like. So that's going good. Uh, recreation red, not red tape got reintroduced, hoping to get a hearing on that later in the summer. And yeah, I don't know, plenty of other stuff. Um, the, uh, the forest service is working on, uh, Updating the way they apply the National Environmental Policy Act, which is everybody calls NEPA. NEPA is uh, NEPA is the law that basically requires the agency to do environmental analysis when they take major actions. So, like anytime you hear about an environmental impact statement or an environmental assessment, NEPA is what requires them to do that. And they're proposing to like radically roll back the opportunities for public engagement in this process and the size and scope of projects that basically would not have to have any environmental review. So this is potentially a pretty big deal, pretty, pretty alarming. Uh, we'll have something going out about that later this week. So if you're not on the outdoor email, outdoor Alliance email address list, you should be. And uh, I don't know more to come. It sounds super nerdy and it's definitely like technical and painful but it's it's important so check it out so i don't know that's kind of what i got going on among other things you know what i find interesting so you've got this nepa thing and i mean it's it's being seriously considered currently right now to not have to do these environmental assessments before like a major logging operation or something like that that's kind of what this is geared around correct lewis yeah yeah but you can't get to the table something like recreation, not red tape, because land managers will freak out if a group of guys go in there with shovels and work on a trail or something. Like, how do you how do you get to a balance there? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, why can't we just go in there and build some trails? That's a good question. Um, well, I mean, I mean, I think trails construction and stuff like that. I mean, like that needs to have some sort of planning process around it too generally speaking, to be done right. And, you know, I think the problem is that right now there's like an imbalance between the amount of process that's required for something like that and the amount of process that's required to go cut the forest down. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think sort of restoring that balance and making sure that the agencies are, are prioritizing things appropriately is, you know, a big part of what we're trying to do here. It's like, you know, for years and years and years, the priority of, the forest service is to like get the cut out and that's how all the land managers get evaluated. Like when they get their performance review, it's like how many board feet did you get out? And you know, one of the things that's good in that recreation, not red tape bill is it's making sure that, that land managers are getting evaluated on how they're meeting recreation goals too. Like, are they, you know, maintaining trails to standard? Are they approving new special use permits? Are they, uh, you know, are, are people generally stoked when they go visit the forest or are they like things are kind of kind of a disaster here, you know? And so I think it's a lot of it is about just sort of reorienting the agency culture, which is something that takes time, you know? Yeah. Like the recreation yeah, not red tape is like definitely have done doing events on state and federal land. I mean, that is something that it always seems to work out, but you have to go through so many um, hurdles and build so many relationships before a land manager thinks you're not the boogeyman. And then over time, yeah, it becomes totally. good, but it's amazing how resistant it is to something that's incredibly low impact and how open and accepting it is to extractive things. And I'm not saying yeah. don't do the extractive 
you know, things. I'm just saying, come no, on. No, totally. And it's about, like, you know, it, it's like those guys, you know, the people who work at the Forest Service, like, they just don't have incentives to sort of stick their head out and try something new. And it's, you know, it's about changing that culture. And it's like when you find a, you know, progressive land manager who's, you know, thinking creatively about these problems and, like, wants to work with people to, like, make things happen, it's like that that person is... is uh a resource you know it's like almost like when we have these higher up meetings with the forest service in dc sometimes we'll just like call out people who we think are killing it you know be like you know like this guy out here who works with blm and was responsible for um like the sandy ridge trail system kind of uh southeast of portland we're like like this guy gets it he's like thinking creatively about these things he's getting projects done like you guys should like you know, give him a promotion or like learn more about what he's got going on down there because like this is the kind of examples we want to repeat. And it's like it's always easier when somebody's done it before. And if you can point to like something, you know, a place where the agency's doing a good job with something, that can go a long way because, you know, then the person who's sort of dragging their heels is like, okay, I don't I wanna have to stick my neck out to do this too much. Like somebody's already already done it, you know? Dude <clears throat> Russell Fork River breaks Interstate Park. You should bring in Austin Bradley. He's the park superintendent there, land manager. He has been incredible about uh, paving the way for recreational users. It's good to hear. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, right. man. Um, anything else there, Lewis? That's all I got. How's the new Zinke doing? Ah, oh, man. He's a piece of work. I mean, just like very similar to what happened with... with Pruitt leaving EPA and Andrew Wheeler coming in it's like you replace somebody who is just like kind of a cowboy kind of an idiot with somebody who's like a very sophisticated operator for extractive industry and like you know that's what Bernhard is it's like he's he's not stupid he's just you know not working in our interest so I don't know we gotta get you in there dude we gotta that'd be fun we gotta get you in there. We'll be calling you from like. Uh, that would be yeah, yeah. That would be super fun. Well, we have some interesting news here. So I got an email from um, Tom Semenik. Am I saying that right, Lewis? Semenik. I think it's Semenik, but Semenik. Um, from Tom Semenik, and anyway, a buddy of his, a guy he knew, Scott um, Laney. Um, out of Boise had an outburst, um, a dagger outburst that he wanted to sell. And he put it up, and maybe he put it on like the local listing and classifies. I'm not exactly sure all the details here. We'll get those. But anyway, put it up there for 250 bucks. Tom sees it and he's like, dude, you don't understand. That's an outburst, and it's a hmm. saw blade outburst. It's worth way more. And he cued him into the hammer factor and he started showing him some of the prices that you can get for an outburst these days. I mean, some places they're going close to what a new boat goes for. <laughs> what, just... what kind of new boat? <laughs> Any of them. Like, you know, like a pelican? <laughs> no, I'm serious. Have you not been following the Strategic Outburst Reserve Coalition? I, uh... <laughs> no, I can't say that I have, no. <laughs> anyway, these guys had a good idea. And um, it was this was kind of totally their their brainchild. They were kind of, 
you know, smitten with Lewis and Outdoor Alliance and I should be serious. They were inspired by some of the things you talk about and some of the issues that you bring up here on the show and that are working on. So anyway, they decided to get together and they're going to give away this. No, they're going to auction off this outburst here as a part of the Hammer Factor. Hammer Factor Nation, listen up. If you ever want an outburst, this is one to get a hold of. And all of the money is going to be donated to and two-prong here to the Whitewater Park and Outdoor Alliance. So this is this your boat. Show. This boat's in, in Boise, right? In Boise, yeah. But we'll, we'll get the guys on the show here in a little bit and, uh, and see what they can come up with. But anyway, cool opportunity to get your hands on an outburst, saw blade, and to support some good causes. I'd love to paddle one of these outbursts back to back against like a, a ripper. Ah, that'd be so sick. I used to love the outburst. Do you think there's ever the going to be like a 10 foot ripper? I do. No. I think it's due. No. I think it's time has come. No, I disagree. I've paddled, I paddled the outburst relatively recently. And the only thing that doesn't feel that good is like your knees feel super low compared to a modern boat. But like the hull shape still that's pretty darn nice man like hmm. pivots pretty well surfs pretty well it's like quite fast how long is that that, that thing you reckon in the tens high tens yeah well it's good i have to i shane <clears throat> i hate to say it but i think the, the medium ripper is surpassing the brap is my new favorite boat really well listen the brap had its day you can't you can't be number one forever Right. And what, uh, what, and what do you like better? I felt like the medium was too squishy. I felt like the large was a was a more comparable boat. I really liked it. I really. really um, liked it. I don't know. I haven't paddled the large. The medium was maybe just a tad on the small side for me, but in a good way. Like I could, I could really manhandle that thing, and it was still plenty fast. And I wasn't sinking it. Um, it was still one. just just hard enough to squirt. Like it wasn't a gimme squirt, which I hate. You know, like I don't want an antics. I don't want a home slice. I want something that you have to kind of work. Yeah, that's just flat. That's how I felt. Dude, I, uh, I paddled the Steves finally. Oh, oh really? What'd you think? Yeah, it was interesting. Um, I took it down. I only paddled it once, and it was on the truss at pretty low water, which is not necessarily the proving grounds for that boat. Um, were you in no pod right no pod um it's big like the bow feels almost as big as the og and it's very hard to pivot um but i don't know i guess to me what i'm looking for in one of those slicey boats is something that's going to make like class three four fun Exactly. And the Steves to me felt like a boat for somebody who's like determined to run class five with a low volume stern. Right. Which is not exactly what I'm huh. looking for. It's just like, it's hard to pivot. Like it's a big boat, but I think the hull is good. Like I think it would surf really well. It kind of like launches itself off waves very nicely. I mean, you and, have like, to, I mean, there's just, it does some cool to... things, but like it needs white water. And like, for me, like, what I want that boat for is when there's not really good white water. You just have to have two boats. That's just all there is to it. You can't get away with one. You have to have a ripper and you have to have a creek boat. Oh that's yeah. Just, that's not even, that's just it. That's not even, 
I'm not even debating that. It's just but like Steve's would have to be a third boat, which doesn't make any sense. I don't know. I disagree with the whole concept. Well, I think See, we all it's not anyway. Yeah, I think originally when we started talking about this and the pod thing, we all kind of said, eh, "This may not be the mix." You know, this may not be possible to do correctly. So that makes perfect sense. That's what I see when I look at it. But it's cool. Like if I were gonna like spend a month at the Fuda, that boat would be on my short list. Interesting. Yeah, your third boat. <laughs> it would be like my like thirteenth boat, but right. I mean, but metaphorically speaking, it's. List, you have a not, wild water boat. It's not part of your core. I don't have a wild water boat. I got a new uh, Corbin 14 long carbon SUP board too. Oh boy. <laughs> All right, let's see if we can get our guys on here. My father-in-law has an outburst. I should I should paddle that thing. That's what I think of it. Hey, how's it going? Is this Tom? Yo. Good, this is. How are you doing? What's Good. up, boys? Good. So, Tom, how do I say <laughs> your last name? Simank. Simank, you were right, Lewis. All right, so we got Tom Samank here on the show and Scott Laney. Am I saying that right, Scott? Yes, sir. That is correct. Okay, well, um, I kind of gave a little brief background here as far as the boat and whatnot. But, Scott, why don't you lead us off here and kind of fill our listeners in to what our plan is here? Yeah, for sure. So I became familiar with the, the Dagger Outburst like many. Um, after hearing about this strategic reserve on previous episodes. So when I found one for sale locally in Boise, I spoke with Tom, who's the owner of this boat, about the idea of raising money for both our Whitewater Park and Outdoor Alliance while also being able to help out the Hammer Factor community and hopefully getting one of these timeless beauties into the hands of a new owner. Yeah, boy. <laughs> okay, and so you, you called up. Tom and we're like yo Tom this is what's yep. up and and then what happened after that so I, I told Tom about the idea and uh, he really liked it he was he was not surprised to hear uh, how sought after and what a gem this boat is he, he had not heard of the strategic reserve previously um, but as he will probably say in a few moments here he's he's quite a fan of the boat um, but yeah, when I told him about the idea and about being able to help out two great causes, he was just thrilled about it. He was on board immediately. So that was super cool. So Tom, a lot of people don't know about this boat, what the outburst is. Can you just give us like, I don't know, a walkthrough a features and benefits rundown of what, what this beauty is all about? Oh yeah, absolutely. There's uh, too many benefits to list really, but the, the speed that it, brings to you is kind of unmatched and the style is off the charts but where the boat really excels is that you can have tons and tons of fun with it on runs that you do day after day with your other boats the Alpers can bring a whole new flavor to it and make it like paddling a new run uh, make moves you've done before more fun or faster. Uh, it's, yeah, it's really a great boat. I think you guys have gone through a pretty extensive review of all the benefits. I don't think I could top that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell me about, like, if you were to take this boat out on the golly, would it shine out there? 
Uh, I personally haven't ever paddled the Golly, but I think that this boat would shine pretty much anywhere. Okay. And why are you getting rid of it? Well, after this has all come up, I I definitely have a little bit of uh, remorse over the idea. It's uh, made me think <laughs> long and hard about it, but but I'm I'm getting rid of it mainly because uh, I have a pretty big boat pile at this point, and some persistent shoulder problems have kept me off the water or continue to keep me off the water more than I would like. And I would really like this boat to get out on the water, be in its happy place and go to someone who's going to use it. I like it. What color is it? It is a black and purple model. Hmm. Saw blade. No saw blade. Oh, Mm. it doesn't have a saw blade. Okay. I think we're done here. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard. Yeah. So, so somebody mentioned to me that there's uh, supposedly a difference between the two and I have paddled a saw blade version uh, that's owned by a friend of mine and I couldn't tell a significant difference. What's, what's your guys's thought on that? I've never gotten them side by side. That could be a conspiracy theory. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, well, I, I, I can at least be one voice towards that cause because I think it performs just as well. And it looks really good. You know what that boat would, would be really good for for somebody out there in the Intermountain West within striking distance of Boise is winning that Big Fork Whitewater Festival where there's a slalom race and a pretty long downriver race and you have to race the same boat for both and your times are combined. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that would be the boat that would be the ultimate weapon for giving old Jared Sarasolsis a run for his money out there. Mm, interesting. <laughs> okay, so there's the purpose. All right, so now let's talk about. All right, we're, so we're gonna auction auction this thing off. Scott, can you give me some details here on that? Yeah, sure. So we have an account on eBay. Tom and I created the the strategic reserve. Or I think it's outburst strategic reserve. And we're going to post the kayak for sale, and uh, we will email a link to you gentlemen so that people can find it. And then, like we mentioned earlier, what we're going to do is we're just going to split 50-50 the money that gets generated. Half of it will go to our local whitewater park, the Boise Whitewater Park. And the other half we're going to donate to Outdoor Alliance. Thanks a lot, boys. Yeah, definitely. You're welcome. I think Tom and I both, as long as... uh, along with other listeners who've really enjoyed the segments regarding the, the conservation work you're doing over there in Washington. And uh, it's it's made an impact on, on us. So we're excited to be able to contribute in some way. Thanks, man. I knew this was going to turn yes. into a Lewis Fluffer segment. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> All right, sick. So we're going to eBay this thing off. What is our starting bid? Tom, what do you think, brother? Uh, I think we should start it. When I posted it for sale, I posted it for what I now understand is probably way too little, but for $250. I think that that's an easily attainable bid. Uh, what do you guys think? I'm fine with that. I mean, that's worth, I mean, Grace thinks he's just dollars Yeah, exactly. $1,600, <laughs> 1800 yeah. I mean, is what I was thinking. Has anybody seen a, a used outburst sold or purchased recently, and what do, what do they go for? I've seen several go for north of $500. Okay, and that's not even including the philanthropic effort that's associated with this one. Correct. 
I think we can get two thousand dollars for this boat. I'm just telling you. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because it's not just the boat; it's the warm, fuzzy feeling you're going to get with the destination these funds are going to, and the experience you get of coming to Boise to pick it up and paddle on the payettes, which this boat knows all the lines already. So you're going to have a great time, guaranteed. And it has the pedigree of being sold to the Hammer Factor. That's right. That's quite a story. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. I mean, it I'm seems saying I'm saying $800. I bet that thing will go for 800 That's my prediction. Well, we'll see. But this is the first time we've done this here on the Hammer Factor. Super cool you guys reached out. And, uh, I mean, Boise Whitewater kind, Park, super fun. What kind of condition is this in? Mint? Good? Fair? Poor? This boat is in good condition. Good there condition. is, yeah. It's. I mean, I've paddled it. I continue to paddle it, uh, but it doesn't have anything resembling a crack. It uh, has original outfitting. The out, you know, the outfitting. Whoever is going to buy this will want to outfit it for themselves because it's got a nice old back band. I've kind of just got a block of foam stuck in it behind uh, the seat that served as my back band, but. It's, uh, yeah, it's got many, many years left of paddling in it, especially if it ends up with somebody here in the Northwest or the Inner Mountain where you're not going to be hitting tons of rocks with it. <laughs> I'm going to take umbrage to that, but we'll put that slide for <laughs> You don't know how timely that was. <laughs> like, comment for the show. We had a big discussion earlier. Oh, good. All right. Um, but yeah, it's it's in good condition. I'll make sure it's nice and cleaned and buffed and all the, the leaves and spiders are uh, vacuumed out of it. It was just on the water last weekend, paddled by the, the great Sam Wells, who, who wanted to buy it on the spot and keep it away from the hammer fractor crowd. But uh, but I told him it was Noted. it was spoken for in theory. But whoever whoever ends up bidding on it, you may have some contenders. Very cool. Sweet. Are you gonna send me over some pictures of this bad boy? Yes, absolutely. We're gonna we'll we'll have pictures for you, and we'll have pictures at the auction as well, or on the eBay posting, obviously. All right, sicko. Yeah. Well, I don't know. We're it'll be interesting to see how this goes, and you know this may turn into like a ritual here on the Hammer Factor. We take some. <laughs> older school boat some like gym that maybe got lost in time and uh see if we can auction it off for a good cause here so yeah i like it well thank you uh scott for the the idea i'm really psyched about this yeah definitely and I'm, I'm glad you were on board with it as well all right boys yeah what a great idea yeah well, thanks a ton guys stoked yeah thanks for having us on and uh, we're psyched to see where this goes and support a good cause Awesome, fellas. Thank you so much, and I'll get in touch with you as soon as we get done recording here later today. Sounds good. Take care, Sounds guys. Good. Cool. Thanks, guys. Later. All right. Bye-bye. This is like like NPR Pledge Week. <laughs> if you enjoy the quality program brought to you by the Hammer Factor, <laughs> if you find hey, yourself sitting in the driveway listening, know John that it's Grace, to you. John Grace, I i got to bring something up with you before we move on too fast here. Come on. Isn't that cool, though? Those guys just fully out of the blue reached out to us, auctioning yeah, off the boat. Cool. I mean, this is super cool. Man. I think it's, I think $800. That's my <clears throat> prediction. You guys got an over-under on this one? I'm doubling up. I'm saying $1,600. You guys are optimistic. <laughs> Lewis is like 275 
<laughs> I think there's a charitable person out there that'll, that'll that would throw another couple, you know, put a $200 premium on that boat. It's probably worth five or six, right? Maybe five. Yeah. Well, I just think that's what I think. I think somebody who has some has some cash is gonna be like, you know what? This is a good way to spend it. So get out there, Hammer Factor Nation. Come on. <clears throat> All right. Can we get back to what I was going to ask you about? <sighs> okay, what do you got? You ready? Uh-huh. This has been it's this has been something that's been floating around this in the back the back end of the show, behind the scenes of the show for probably a year now. And it's the time that we 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 at least open this discussion up a bit. And you know what I'm getting to, don't you? Is this the dreamline thing? It's the dreamline thing. Well, I don't know all the details on the Dreamline thing. There are some people who are listening to the show who are like, what's the Dreamline thing? And there's other people right now who are literally pounding the, the steering wheels of their fists, screaming. They're <laughs> so angry about this. Yeah, we have got several emails asking. If you haven't, the Dreamline thing was a video series that starred Benny Marr, Pat Keller, Day Jackson, Eric Jackson... Uh, was produced by Steve Fisher. It was meant to be an advanced instructional. So these uh, were instructional. About it like it exists. So these were these were instructional videos. The idea was to have a group of instructional videos. And it was a Kickstarter campaign. And along with the video, there were other things that you could opt into, like um, private instruction, trips to the Zambezi. There was instruction at the Charlotte Whitewater Park and on the Ottawa and things like that. Yeah. So this was a Kickstarter project, right? Yep. And Steve Fisher, South African paddler. If you've been around for a while, you certainly recognize the name. He got on Kickstarter and he was like, I'm going to make these instructional videos and offer these things, uh, these clinics and whatnot. And what, I don't really understand how, how did it work? Like people, if you, if you paid money to Kickstarter, would you get the video series in exchange and instruction, or was it all-inclusive package, or how does how did the how did the the, the product work? Have you ever seen a campaign on Kickstarter? Have you ever? Yeah, but usually one? you're buying a physical object. You're buying like a a Bluetooth, you know, washing machine or something. You know what I mean? It's something that you can actually hold. Yeah. Right? So the way this one was set up, and I don't have all the details with me but there were you could buy like the dvd for 20 bucks you could buy one-on-one -on -one instruction for x number of dollars you could buy like for 300 dollars the dvd and a life jacket or something and then you could go all the way up to say three thousand bucks you could get a trip to africa um on the zambezi you know ej and fisher would be your coaches I don't understand um, why you need a Kickstarter for for kayak instruction. You normally kayak instruction is pretty simple. You pay the money and someone teaches you. You don't really need to kickstart that, right? I, I'm confused by the whole concept. I have to be honest. Well, we got to bring somebody on the show who's a little more in depth. I've reached out to Steve. I didn't get um, any kind of response back. I don't think. He well, let's finished. get to let's get to the controversy. So the controversy is, is that this Kickstarter thing went through. He collected how much money did did the Kickstarter raise? I don't remember. Oh, give me a ballpark. Seventy, eighty thousand dollars A lot of money. Quite a bit of money, yeah. It was anything delivered. Yeah. There I know that I know that all of the private instruction, all the trips, all of that were done. All the stuff on the Zambezi. I think as far as I know, just the D V D is the one thing that wasn't delivered. Right. 
but we get we do get emails from people who are were very upset over this this whole thing. No, I definitely know it's a big deal. We need to get some we need to get if we can't get Steve on the show, we need to get EJ or Dane or Benny or one of the other people who were starring in this. Maybe they have some insider knowledge. But pretty much what I know I just shared, so I don't know. I think you should reach out to Steve and see what you can what you can line up. Listen. I <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't think, based on my pre, my past experience with Steve Fisher, he's not. He's not going to answer anything. Any questions I have. Well, I asked not, not, that we, not, that, not that I've ever been in a fight with a guy, but he's always looked at me like, "Who are you? And who who are, why you? are you? Why are you in between me and someone much cooler to talk to?" <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Well, I mean, I I reached out to Steve. He he never got back to me. Said. So would you, would you put this ahead or behind the Corn Addison SUP Kickstarter in the vaguely kayaking related Kickstarter Hall of Fame? What was that one? God, I hate spreading rumors when I don't have the story entirely straight. But didn't he like collect a bunch of money on a Kickstarter, sold the company before it even existed, and then never delivered on any of the Kickstarter stuff? Oh, that was like the Imagine Sup or something like that. Something like that. I think I do remember he, that when he when he was on the sh- when he was on the Hammer Factor he discussed Imagine, but there was no talk of a of this aspect of it. Obviously, <laughs> that may have been before I was big into stuff. Do you think South Africans don't understand Kickstarter? <laughs> do you think, <laughs> do you think there are any circumstances? Do you think there are any circumstances under which you should give a kayaker money on Kickstarter? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think I think it's, I'd love to, I I think I would love to hear from somebody who wants to come on the show who has some I don't want to hear gossip. I, I want to hear, you know, someone who has an objective view on how, what went down here and could describe it because I know those people out in the voting committee want some answers. They feel definitely like they were ripped off. Well, I tried to get the interview. I couldn't get it. So I recommend you try. I think Gel- I think Geltman probably has the street cred. He's Northport champion. It's true. <gasps> it's true. Speaking I mean, is there a story to tell? The story is he took the money, he never made the videos. Don't give money to kayakers on Kickstarter. You think that's it? That's, I think that's, that's it. it. God, we got to make sure somebody gets this outburst if they. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> eBay, eBay is totally different. Just yeah, so we're clear on this. <laughs> right. Look, so we talk about some other another rumors since we're talking about rumors right now. Let's talk about Confluence. Hey, that's what I'm. Thank you. That's what I'm getting at. Lots of rumors about Confluence. Confluence being not Confluence, Pennsylvania, where immersion research is based, but Confluence, the boat conglomerate that, that's behind you know many recognized brands: Dagger, Wave Sport, Wave Sport, Perce- X Wave Sport, Perception, Perception right? W- Wilderness Systems. Yeah, Bomber Gear still exists. Is that Confluence? Yeah, no, Bomber Gear. AT. They imploded. AT still around. Yeah, that's that's definitely a Confluence brand, or it was. So anyway, what we, have you heard? We so I had I had a couple people going on deep background about a year ago. Somebody who I, obviously I'm not going to name, who was with Inside Confluence, gave me a call and was like, "Some serious stuff is going down." Because I can't get into details. Um, and then <laughs> you just get that call, and you're like, "That's I kind it? of do, yeah." <laughs> 
Okay, yeah. go on. And he was like, it was sort of the kind of, we got to get together because we get together. This it's, person wasn't going to be there forever. And when they get together, you want to dis, discuss it. So then six months ago, John Grace and I. Would that be considered a leak? That was a like leak a for sure. Okay. For sure. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then so you and I heard some financial stuff from another person that we know, yep. another person on deep background. Uh, that was not, if it was true, it was not good. It was definitely some financial distress going on there. And then I heard a couple of weeks ago that a, a big portion of their sales force has been laid off. And then we also, Snowy, our long-term friend of the show, is now not fully time employed there. Is that correct? To my understanding, he's on a freelance basis. Um, but, but that's my understanding. Dude, you, if Snowy's available, somebody should pick him up. That guy can make a kayak. Right. Well, the, so the questions remain: Is you know what's you know the what's going to happen with whitewater boats, right? Because if confluence, let's just suppose this this stuff is true, and we don't know that it's true. I mean, uh, the sources were good, but we don't know. Like confluence is announcing anything. There's no press release. But if confluence does indeed implode, the first thing on the chopping block is going to be dagger, right? That's got to be, you know, in terms of a, certainly any kind of resale or salvage operation, whitewater's not going to be part of it, I wouldn't think. So it's going to have an impact on the whitewater business, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, who's going to be the big benefits? The big benefactors are going to be Piranha and Liquid Logic and Jackson, of course. And anybody who's picked up and squirreled away at a dagger outburst. Oh my God! The price of the outburst is going to go through the roof. Well, they don't have the tool anymore. Snowy's, do you believe? Oh yeah, that's right. that's right. That's right. Still the RPM. The RPM is going to be the one because they can no longer do these limited edition RPM runs anymore. You watch. The outburst is going to be more valuable than the RPM. Yeah. And then the question remains: Is what is the future of whitewater boats? I mean, it's not an easy. It's not an easy business, right? Time will tell. I agree. I mean, you know, we need more variety in this sport. I'd love to see people jumping into it rather than getting out. But how do you run a successful whitewater boat business? That's the question. You know, who should who should hire Snowy is Waka. Snowy's wow. probably Snowy's probably running out of white, the whitewater boat business as fast. It's, it's too late. Snowy's going to be designing for Mercedes or BMW or something. I mean, yeah, the guy's kind of a, he's really good at what he does. I don't right. know. That's super interesting gossip. You know, it's a uh, man. I mean, it's hard to be a global player in paddle sports based in the U.S. right now. I mean, I know for a fact certain manufacturers to escape tariffs of shipping boats to Europe and whatnot are having to disassemble. They make them in the factory, and then the ones that they have to ship overseas, they have to disassemble them to get around the tariffs and then have someone over there reassemble them. As, so. if, as if the kayak business isn't hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, I know I know for a fact this is going on right now, probably with more players than one. So I don't know. That's going to be super interesting. Along the same line, Sweet, I, I don't want to crow here, but Sweet uh, announced uh, they've, they've stopped making drywear. They've stopped making dry suits and dry tops. So Did... I think they still have inventory left, but uh, they're, it's official. I saw the press release from Sweet. Why he press release that, I don't know, but I saw it. Huh. I've known about that one for a while. I don't feel like that's news for some reason. 
I have two. It was it was it was on the rumor mill. For, I mean, anybody who knew the business was wondering when Sweet would would you know start realizing it was no making no sense doing what they're doing. But it, they finally made it official. So it's a tough business, man. You know that's why I just want to start talking about Green Race and all of its glory. Right. Because <sighs> before no... the show today, we were talking about the Outdoor Industry Association. In the state of the, the the industry, and it's a disaster, in my opinion. And there are such there, there I, in my mind, I see a clear path to fixing this. It involves some tough love, but no one's asking me. So, what? Tell me about your tough tough love. What's it going to be? Well, I, 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 we could spend a whole show talking about this, but I'll say I think the primary unit of the outdoor industry is comprised of the manufacturers and the retailers. And that is just being annihilated left and right by, by carelessness and sort of a, a sense of like hopelessness and a money grab. But, but the best thing for the consumer is to have manufacturers selling their goods to retailers. That's the best consumer experience for outdoor gear, period. It provides the best jobs. It provides the best service to the customer. It, is just, it avoids the entire mess of Amazon and buying stuff on Amazon manufacturers early on were really it you know delighted with the idea of selling direct but i think all of us who've gotten into it realize it's not what we really want to be doing anyway um you know we'd much rather have the retailers handle the consumer side of the business uh and we just need to head back that direction in my opinion i think customers need to to understand that the convenience of amazon and the supposed the, the the perceived consumer friendly aspect of Amazon is not that it's you're really by buying your things like outdoor gear on Amazon and things like that you're you're actually getting the worst possible customer experience in my opinion in the long run yeah but man God the short term like our heater element just went out yesterday got on the old Amazon typed it up be here tomorrow morning. I hear you though. I mean, I, I, without a doubt, I mean, without a doubt, the experience of going to a well-stocked paddle sports retailer with all kinds of brands and all kinds of cool stuff to hold uh, and try and, and not just and not tuck. just paddle sports, outdoors, you know, outdoors, <clears throat> outdoor stores. Like there's there's a couple outdoor stores here in Hood River that do great, and it's a great experience. You go in there, it's a great staff. They have a great selection of products, super helpful. They know what they're selling. I bought my backcountry skis from a store here in town. It was awesome. Anyway, I don't want to go too far down that road. I think we're pretty far down that road. So we have a uh, special guest we'd like to get on the show here today, and I'm trying to figure out a way to get a hold of this gentleman. But this is a stand-up comedian, former LDM (laughs) contributor, and Banks Magazine editor, James McLeod. He has some sent an interesting email over known James for a long time. He wanted to jump on the show for a minute, so I said, yeah, let's do it. He's got a new technique he wants to go over, which I found interesting. Hmm. Um, way to get out of holes, and he has a little bit of paddle talk. We may have to cut him off on that. Hmm. Um, but I have that on the docket here. I'm waiting for him to get back to me with the exact way to pull him onto the show, so stay tuned for that. Lewis, do you have any info or anything you'd like to share on the North Fork race that recently went on? Oh, man. God, it feels like forever ago. Um, 
it was cool, man. It was uh, bigger than ever. A ton of uh, people from Europe and South America, just all over. Definitely felt like the biggest one yet. It was sick having a women's class. The water was hot. It was gnarly. Um, they they adopted that format from Sick Line this year, which I'm like not super over the moon about. But the format is there's a qualifier. At the Northwark race, they had it on S turn, which is you know substantially chiller than Jake's. It's like you know just like a little over a minute sprint or maybe a two minute sprint, and so then they cut the field to forty, and then the next round is first versus fortieth, second versus thirty ninth, etc. But not actually head to head, just like time versus time, and I just like there's something about that format that it's like. You know, if you had, you could have the second fastest time of the day and not make it into the final, which is like a little weird. But it seemed like, for the most part, the times like it, it, there wasn't, any, there weren't. It didn't seem like there were any heats where anybody who like really didn't deserve to make it into the final did did, or nobody who had a really screaming time who got the door shut on them within you know reason, but. Still, like, I'm not in love with that format, but anyway, the I don't know, the final was sick, the water was high. Um, yeah, it was big, rowdy, good. Northwork. Dane wins. Dane wins. Dane is just on another level. I mean, Dane, like... <laughs> I mean, we, we closed the bar down with Dane the night before the final, and he won. He was out as late as anybody on Thursday night, the night before the semifinal, and won it handily. Like, he's just a Disney animal. I just, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say about Dan. I mean, just, I think I think both of his runs in the final would have won. Um, I mean, just like, like the level, like, it's like you watch that dude at Jake's, like, especially in practice, and it's like, like there is just like no situation you can put that dude in that's gonna like raise his heart rate above like forty five. It's like there's just nothing that can happen to him out there that he can't <laughs> like readily deal with, you know. <laughs> it's like just watching that is is pretty impressive, I think. Yeah, then he leaves, heads overseas, and wins the the big rodeo. Yeah. The big freestyle champ. I mean, and this may be the year he breaks four minutes. I mean, the guy is just on fire. I've just been watching. Like, I mean, he's not, he's showing up at the comps, doing what he can do, and he's just back out on the expedition, back out on the tour. I mean, this, <laughs> if, if you guys remember, this is the year Kenny said Dane would break four minutes after his very lengthy statistical analysis. Yeah, I think it was more stated as statistical fact than this could be the year. And this was also the same show where we segued right from Kenny to Shark vs. Bear, which was probably the greatest segue in Hammer Factor history. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. Do you want to do five questions in 30 seconds with Lewis? Yeah, I just can't believe I can't find James's Skype handle. All right, let's do five. Let's do five questions, thirty seconds. Uh, this time, I'm going to read the questions. Lewis Galtman answering. Okay, let's do it. I'm, I get this ready. 
Does someone have a hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I haven't looked at him yet, so I'm really going in cold here. Hang on. That's what we want. Okay, hold on, hold on. So these questions were actually directed towards you, or, or mentioned your name in, in, in part of the question. So this was a good collection for you to, to answer. Yeah. All right. I'm going to give a countdown. Okay. Three, two, one, go. Mason wants to know why such an accomplished paddler uh, like Lewis has never taken a swift water rec rescue class. Some an idiot. Shane Robinson wants to know if he only has $100 to no donate, is it better to, ha to have an AW membership, a membership to the Access Fund, a membership to Winter Woodlands, and donate the remainder to OA, or just give all 100 to OA? Uh, it's Winter Wildlands, and I think you should join the member groups as much as it pains me to say it. Okay. Thanks, Shane. Uh, Kurt Sable wants to know uh, how, to, uh, what's, how, to do, how to deal with bulk versus ropes in terms of do you carry a big throw bag and one small one on the body or a small throw bag and webbing on the body or how do you what's the best combination of throw ropes versus bulk I don't know how you want to combination it but you have to have a throw bag that's at least like 65 feet don't use one of those short throw bags and think that you're covered Okay. Anonymous wants to know how to maintain uh, running his stout capabilities on local class 3-4 playboat run. I guess he's in law school, and I think he was thinking about you. I don't know, man. Just stay stoked. Go as much as you can. And Matt, Matt M. wants to know if 30 is too old to start boating the shit. No. He sounds like he's just getting into paddling. I mean, you're not going to be Dane, but you can definitely go out there and be running the golly in a couple of years and having a good time, and you know. All right, that's it. not that old. That's pretty good. I think I yeah. kind of agree with all that. I think the class three four, how to keep stay tuned in class three four. What's the answer, John Grace? Just go all the time and flip over. Attaining. And... Attaining. 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 I, I, I read Attaining. his email about how to deal with the time stuff when you're in school. And it called me, it reminded me that when I was in law school, that was when I really became a dick about people being on time. <laughs> I was like, it's just like, I have two hours right now. Do not be 15 minutes late. Like, <laughs> I will be angry. <laughs> like, <laughs> be on time. Yeah, that Why was... haven't you taken a Swiftwater rescue? I mean, do you think you would, you would, your experience leads you to believe that you know more, you, you know everything you know about rescue? Um, no, I don't think that's true. I mean, I think that that really complicated rope work is uh, usually a much slower process than than what you need for a real emergency situation. And I've, I don't know, maybe I've just never seen it, seen the necessity of it play out in, in practice. But I think practicing that stuff is good. I mean, I think that, you know, if you spend enough time paddling, you deal with enough rescue situations, I think you you know, learn to have a good, quick decision-making process. And I think, you know, you can learn from experience, but I think it's not to say that there's not things that I couldn't and wouldn't and shouldn't learn through doing that. And I would certainly do it given the opportunity. I keep coming back to that avalanche class that I took over the winter where you're in an avalanche and the snow stops and you can go in there and step on the snow and it's not moving anymore and start digging a person out um, versus the fluid situation of someone stuck on a rapid and the amount of variables that are thrown into that situation. 
Um, I'm not, and I'm not, listen, don't start writing the hate emails. I'm not poo-pooing rescue training, but I'm saying that rescue training for whitewater is considerably more difficult in my opinion from just, from just a variable standpoint than snow. Yeah. And like you see, I mean, I think I would take the safety over, I, I would vouch for the safety of somebody with a lot of experience on whitewater over somebody with less experience who, you know, has all the training in the world. Right. I mean, it's like you, you learn a lot from experience and I guess, and that's not to say that I couldn't learn more and shouldn't take that opportunity. But I think that it's, I don't think that it's as big of a gap in my expertise as you might think. There's a lot of things outside of just rope work, you know, the stabilization techniques, dealing with hypothermia. I mean, yeah, ways, I would be more inclined know. to take like a, like a wilderness first responder course feels more pressing to me than a swift water rescue courses. I guess I would say. No, you were at uh, one minute, 36 seconds. Five questions in 30 seconds is tough, man. Yeah. Well, the questions, these were long questions. I was 30 seconds just reading those things alone. No, oh, I thought that was pretty good. We got a few more listener mails we need to get into here. Have you guys taken swift water rescue classes? I took one a long time ago. I'll tell you what I've never done <laughs> is I want to do a woofer. Yeah, that's what I want to do too. I've never done a, a wolf, a, like a proper woofer. That really feels like a much bigger gap in my knowledge than than the swift water rescue stuff, honestly. Yep. Well, have you taken a swift water rescue class? Uh, no. I mean, you know, I. It's tough. I, I. I mean, I taught kayaking for a bunch of years, right? And I mean, nothing life threatening, but I dealt with a hundred. I mean, a thousand different rescues. You, you know, people in various states of panic, and, and you know, sometimes you're rescuing people while they're reasonably safe. They convinced they're they're dying. You know, and so you get all the you know the emotions that go along with that. But also, you know, I just you you paddle hard whitewater for long enough, you just get involved in you know a dozen or two dozen really really scary, terrifying experiences. You know, yeah. Um, and uh, I I think the conclusion that you start to draw after a while is you're like, you know, you have grabbed that bitch right which is you know if you're willing to risk given the circumstances you're willing to risk your life to to grab that person there are so many situations that i could think of where i don't i, I don't know how much rescue class you training you could take and still there's there's not a lot you can do you know yeah i agree i mean, I mean if someone's I... stuck in a pothole somewhere and you can't you can't get to them you know you're gonna you're gonna jump in <laughs> with a throw of tied your waist or and try and fish them out or I mean you yeah I guess I would say the one thing one thing I feel like I do sort of get my like rope work practice on is uh log removals like I feel like that can be a really good way to just kind of like brush up on those z drag skills and things like that you know like yeah, you get yeah. a lot of uh so a yeah lot but of practice I, kind of thinking I, through that stuff I know we're hitting a lightning rod here and I'm saying this so that someone can, can write in and correct, correct me, explain to me all the reasons why, why I'm wrong about this. Um, I would say but, that it could, 
get you a little more up to speed on things that you've learned through experience. While I can never replace experience, if you're early on into the sport, it's going to give you a bump up in your knowledge level. You got, do you have James on the line here? I can't get James. I was going to ask him what he thinks. I can't get him. What do you? I mean, what do you think? What do you think, John Grace? I mean, of all the rescue situations you've been in, I don't know. This brings me to like the toe tether discussion. I mean, do you guys paddle with toe tethers? No. I mean, you know, it, that's taught as a positive thing in a lot of swift swift water rescue courses, and to me, it's just a cumbersome thing that gets in the way. Now, if you're I mean, Taking. if I'm rescuing somebody a cucumber in class, if I'm rescuing John Grace cucumber swimming, a toe tether is great. I didn't swim in cucumber. It was dimple. Dimple. If someone's swimming above <laughs> chaos, right? Yeah. And I, th- I do not want them dragging me over chaos backwards with a rope t- tied to them. You know what I mean? The best. I just don't, I mean, the I best, don't want that. The best justification. So I never used a toe tether, and I never owned one. And the thing that got me to finally buy one was someone pointing out that you might need it for an unconscious swimmer. And, like, that's the only time when it's, to me, like, worth it that you would, you know, like, I'm not clipping my myself to somebody's boat. Like, your boat's gone. Like, sorry, dude. But, like, you know, like, if you're, like, on the wind at high water or something like that and somebody's, like, you know, basically flushed around, like, yeah, you know. Right. Like, to me, that's that's the situation. Right. Well, John Grace, what's the hairiest rescue situation you've been involved with? Oh, God, dude. I've been in all give me one. Give, give me one that, that stands yeah. out. <clears throat> well, I'll give you one that that stands out as far as uh, as using rope work. Is we were on Upper Cherry and the Rapid Kiwi in a pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, you familiar with that one, Lewis? Oh yeah. Yeah, thirty footer. It's got a nasty pocket on the river right side. And it was not the first descent, although on the first descent, Nikki got kind of tool bagged in there. And we had to do kind of a tricky. Uh, rescue but tommy on a high water year and it was about twice the flow charged off into that thing did every single thing he could to get out of that pocket could not get out we had to do a vertical extraction out of there and it went super smooth and we got him out of there but it was good that we had all of the prussics and everything that we needed to set up that rescue Mm -hmm. so but, I mean, the way we did it probably would not have been taught in a rescue class, um, per se. But, oh, man, there's just been so many – there's been so many periods where you need a lot of hands on a rope and you've got to – you've got to get a lot of hands on a rope and try and get hands on a person. I mean, every hairy rescue I've ever been on, the way it's came out has been with that scenario. It's very seldomly just one guy throws a rope and gets the rescue done, if that makes any sense. But, I mean, we had to, like, you know, we had to set up an anchor, you know. So we, we set up an anchor real quick, put a prussic on the rope, threw it down there. Once we actually, you know, once we got Tommy connected, he was in his boat Still, was he relatively stable in, the, in this pocket? No, not at all. We, it was like we had to have a big open face carabiner so he could get it on there. And he popped it on there, and then we pulled him up. And then it was kind of like a sketchy like lip we had to get him out. So once we got him like 10 feet off the water and we had to bring him up, I mean, how far do you think that is on the river right bank there, Lewis? 60 feet, 80 feet? 
You know, like a 35 foot throwback definitely wouldn't have worked. And you got him, you vertically extracted him in his boat. In his boat until we got to a certain, a certain height. We pulled him like three feet off the ground and then he got, he let, he um, exited the boat. So it was just him. And then, because there was no way for him to get stable, he couldn't let go of his paddle to grab a rope, you know? So it was, it was Holy super. Shit. I mean, he was getting chundered in there. It was like moving fast, you know? <laughs> and so, I mean, there was no stay. I mean, it was like narrowly averting disaster. So then we got him up a certain amount and we put the prusik on there. So if we dropped it because it was just guys holding the rope and we didn't have time to set up some, you know, extensive z-drag so we just put an anchor on there and a prusik so once we got him up even if we did let go of the rope it wouldn't drop him all the way back in the water and then we just kind of manhandled drug him out of there ripped up his ass you know and all sorts of stuff so i mean that was probably that's the stout dude that's like that is some serious rope work yeah did you have to what did you anchor off of is there a tree up there uh we tied around a just like basically a big stone you know, we just took webbing, webbing from our waist straps and connected two of those together, put the, put the prusik connected to that and then just cranked them up. And then we'd get them up to a certain bit and we'd move the prusik down the rope. And then we got them to like the last pitch and drug them up over the edge. That is stout, man. That makes me think I need to go take a swift water rescue class, man. I don't think I could pull that one off. But that was the only time, um... You know, because most of the time, if you're in a Z, if you're in a rope work with prussics and that kind of situation, it's like you talk about. It's more of like a recovery than a rescue. Yeah, you're unpinning a, a canoe or something. Yeah, yeah. So. But I think you know, it's good to know. It's good to practice. And I think, like you're talking about, just dragging wood out of the river and things like that. That's that kind of scenario stuff. I think, I think the classes that are the I've always wanted to put together a class. Where I take, do you guys, oh, you guys never wrestled, but in wrestling we had these dummies that we would throw around and they weighed like, there was like a 110 pound one and like a 160 pound one or something. And I've always wanted to like get these dummies and just throw them in the water with like a life jacket on and get a crew of people and be like, all right, try and rescue it. <laughs> Why are you laughing at me? I'm just thinking of like four or five different obnoxious jokes I could make <laughs> using this premise, but just let it slide for the moment. I think the scenario <laughs> classes are really good. Just as yeah. good as a, as a, as a true swift water rescue class. You know, I mean, it sounds like there, I mean, yeah, I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of climbing work there. Yeah. Cl- you know, like rope climbing experience, you know? Yeah. That was one of our quicker and more complicated rescue scenarios that I can recount. Most of the other ones are like, you know, clip yourself on the rope and go in there and get them. Wow, man. I'm getting cold chills thinking about all these. Yeah, this story just gave me anxiety. (laughs) Rescue scenarios. Water was too sweating. It was too high to be running that rapid. I don't know what he was thinking. Um, (laughs) Do we want to get into a few more listener mails? I just got a message here from James. So we'll bring James on at the end of the show to do some rants and raves and talk about his new technique. The new technique is called the Emancipator Stroke. Hmm. I'm not sure how to go with this. Go with this. Um, all right, so Carl McCollum writes in. He asks if the wave sport 
Phoenix and Dagger Phantom are the same. Dude, right? they are not. I saw the Wasteboard Phoenix in action at the North Fork race, piloted by Mikel Ramaza, and it is like it is the weirdest non core and Addison designed kayak I've ever seen. <laughs> it is like <laughs> like that. Like the bow is really long and the stern is really short, but then the stern is really wide so that you have enough surface area in the stern so that the bow doesn't like come up when you're sprinting. Hmm. And the chines are like super, super hard. And like when you look at this thing, you're just like, You're going to get your ass kicked. <laughs> it just looks terrible, but like, I mean, Mikel makes it look good and he, you know, has some theory behind it and he said he likes it and he's certainly a boss paddler i mean i guess i commend people who are trying something different that it is a weird looking kayak didn't make me want to paddle it but <laughs> did you get the answer there. on this one well i did i wrote snowy i guess he was still fully full-time employed at complex at the time he said he ver- he he verified what lewis is saying they are indeed not the same boats um uh, so he also we I, I also asked him about uh, at the t- at the the same time we were discussing pla- boats coming shipped in plastic bags and how bad it was. Um, you, you, we've you know at IR we've we're working on this problem as well and it's not as easy as people think. Um, but Snowy reaffirms that he, he says they've explored using plastic alternatives to plastic, um, but uh, like woven sleeves and and things that can be reused by the customer. Um, but long story short, these things don't always work out to actually be more environmentally friendly. Um, so anyway, so no, they're not the same. Yeah, they're not the same. I mean, you can kind of see from the pictures that I saw they weren't the same. Yeah. Uh, Mike Harvey writes us a sweet letter about paddleboarding your way to being a better kayaking. It looks like Mike and I have found the uh, Mike, Dane, and Gerd and myself have figured out how to uh, get better through paddleboarding, and it all looks obvious to me. <laughs> What's the next question? Does it involve, does it involve the high and dry? <laughs> <laughs> you tell me about the high and dry. You're the you're in the know about the high and dry. You and Blackbird. I, have my the- I wrote my theory about the high and dry at the beginning of the, sh- the show notes. <laughs> um, I'll post that one in the show notes. That's a good uh, good email there from Mike Harvey. You can tell us if you agree with that or not. Mike Harvey is one of the co-owners of Badfish Sups in Buena Vista. Great guy. They make I also a, knows a loop. Yeah. They make the best. Well, they make a. I don't want to say best. You know, I don't want to call him by that. But they make a sick paddleboarder. The uh, the River Shred. It's like one of the first like inflatable paddleboards with rocker. Yeah. Um, I also noticed that Luke Hopkins. I was looking at their webpage. Luke Hopkins is is uh, also an owner of Badfish. Did you know that? I did know that. You know, Luke lives here in town. Luke, what doesn't Luke have a piece of in paddle sports? <laughs> he's like the he's he's like the deep state of kayaking. <laughs> that guy's everywhere. Interesting. Yeah, and there's not a single aspect of kayaking that he's not have his fingers in. What else does Weird. he have his fingers in? Every time I see him, he has some other he has some scheme cooking where he's marketing for somebody it's it's like you grace he, he it's like a 20 minute explanation of what he's doing none of it makes any sense 
It's There's like some... me. What is it? <laughs> somebody that's coming in. What on earth, dude? <sighs> like John Grace, what are you doing? Is well, I'm, I'm branding video content that's actually uh, recursively sending the information back to the brands so that they can inform the retailers on what decisions. I'm like, uh huh. <laughs> Check. Did every time you ask me what I do, I provide consistent content that's valuable over time. Come on. It's the same thing every time. That's, that's what I do. You got to figure that out. All right. Let's get to Haley in Alaska. <sighs> who uh, Called us makes out. A very good, yeah, she totally calls us out. She's 100% right. And Lewis would agree with us. She wants less bullshit. She wants more of stuff on insane missions. And you know, speak, obviously she's sick, she's sick of paddle offset, which we all are. Speaking of insane missions and who I want to get on the show and who I had fully lined up, but you guys just disappeared off into the universe when it was time to record a show, is mm. Ben Stukesbury, dude. Ben yeah, has ready. been killing it for so long. He's been to all these obscure places. He's truly doing something different, in my opinion, yeah. in, the, in the expedition world. Right. Yeah. Let's have Stukesbury on for sure. For sure. So... I want to say personally, I'm sorry, Haley, and we're going to try better. You're 100% right. No, she's right. Um, dry gear. Wa- so speaking of that, let's get into some gear. Dry <laughs> gear. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> dry gear waterproofing. Weld, what you got? Uh, uh, hold Can on. We I talked gotta... about this. Nah, it's, it's a, he, I don't know. He's got Did some we... old gear. Who wrote this one? Bring this one up. Um... We need like 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 a hammer sure, factor hey. intern to just go back and like time stamp what we talk about in all these videos, so we can just be like, go back to episode thirty-seven at hour one. And all right, listen, it's from Nate. He wants to know about waterproofing your gear, right? Here's the deal: the thing that makes your gear waterproof is waterproof breathing <clears throat> laminate, right? It's the thing that's inside the inside the fabric you can't really see. You have the outer fabric. You know, whatever the outer shell fabric may be, you have the waterproof breathable laminate, which keeps the water out. You have like a trico mesh on the inside that protects the laminate. It's a three-layer fabric. Uh, as long as the laminate is intact, the, the garment is theoretically still dry. Um, there are various reasons why crappy laminates may fall apart, but as long as the laminate's intact, the, the water's not going to come pouring through. What happens is, is that over time, um, there's a coating sprayed on top on the outside of garments called uh, DWRs, durable water repellent finishes. Um, and what that DWR does is it makes water bead off the surface of the jacket. Um, that doesn't keep the jacket dry, the garment dry or the dry suit dry. It just makes water bead off the surface of it. And it keeps the sh- that outer shell fabric from wetting out and absorbing water. Um, what happens is when the DWR starts to wear off, the outer garment, the outer shell garment, whether it's nylon or whatever, polyester, starts to hold water, and then the breathability of the garment drops precipitously. And also because usually this cold water that's sitting there on the surface of the jacket, you get really bad condensation inside the jacket, making you think that your jacket or dry suit is leaking like a sieve. Um, you can, in fact, reapply the DWR, you know, these durable water repellent finishes, getting an aftermarket uh, treatment. Um, but keep in mind, this is not making your jacket waterproof. It's just making the water bead off, which will aid in the breathability and the overall feeling of dryness inside the garment. Note that about five or six years ago, the DWRs that we used to use use a fluorocarbon that was very difficult to – it never basic, it never, never biodegraded, basically. It would stay in the environment forever. So most of the developed world has stopped using this DWR coating. They're using a much weaker version of the same fluorocarbon, which – 
basically wears off right away. So you're seeing more waterproof breathable jackets wetting out faster and faster every year. Um, and there's been a gigantic push to find a replacement for this fluorocarbon-based DWR. Um, it's a bane to all dry suit manufacturers because when DW wears off, people in, are in, insistent that their dry suit is leaking. It's not just an IR thing. It's across all brands, but it's just not the case. At least it's not the case with good dry suits where the lamina is still intact. Um, and this is why I bring this up. Um, because on one hand, it is an issue where people will get a dry top or a dry suit and the DWR wears off. And while the jacket is still theoretically dry, it feels very damp on the inside. And there's really not a lot we can do about that. We're against the environment here. Uh, on the other hand, I see a lot of hand-wringing from people like Yvonne Chouinard and a bunch of other people from Patagonia and other industry, or other people in the industry who are trying to find a replacement of DWR with another chemical of some sort. And at some point, I would have to think, you know what, honestly, it's just not that big of a deal. You know, where the DWR wears off your dry suit or your dry top, it's still going to function just fine in really crappy conditions where it needs to function. You may feel a little damp inside your dry suit, but if it's honestly freezing outside in your hypothermic situation, it's going to do the job. And maybe we should all stop worrying about being completely bone dry inside of these, inside of these garments constantly and be like, hey, I'm in a paddle sports, I'm in the water, I'm going to get a little damp sometimes and stop worrying about it. So there you go. Dude, I want my stuff to be dry, man. I want it dry. Let me ask you this. I wanted to get I wanted to read that email because this has been we it's a it's a thing going on in the industry. I want to discuss it. That's all. No, I like that. I, I hear what you're saying too. Yeah. You know, I have got some dry gear yeah. that has lasted a long time and others that is like literally ten uses and I've got leaky arms. Do you think yeah. it's like some boats? I mean, it's the same mold for the boat, but if they don't cook it properly, the boat's yeah. going to break. Do you think there's some kind of like something it's, from when they actually rolled the fabric off of the no, machine? No, dry, dry top. I mean, you can make a shitty dry top or a shitty dry suit that falls apart. And what I'm saying is the laminate just falls apart, right? And those leak. Dry tops are hard to diagnose because you get water up through the tunnel of your jacket and it's just they're really hard to tell. With a dry suit, if you think your dry suit's leaking, you could go stand in some water with your hands and your neck out of the water and it should be bone dry. Wear cotton, like some jeans and a t-shirt underneath it, and you'll see water coming through it. Um, you know, it's a simple, easy diagnostic test anybody can do. Uh, but there's just so much subjective opinions about what's dry and what's not dry and so many reasons why water may be getting inside that suit for legitimate reasons that's hard it's hard to tell but well-made laminates from from a reputable company um you know rarely do you have water just seeping right through the fabric and one yeah so well, there you have it yeah Moving on, Travis Shule writes in. He says, I teach for Montana Kayak Academy in Flathead Valley, Montana. We offer free kayak lessons and equipment to all youth who are interested. After a couple of years of teaching ACA Level 1, 2, 3, 4 classes, we decided to start offering slalom kayak classes. I have an enormous difficulty finding access to hang gates. Much of our training has been with buoys. This does work for some drills, but often makes classic upstreams difficult. How have some clubs been able to hang permanent gates in river stretches? From your childhood experience, what drills were the most beneficial, and what was the progression slalom programs take from beginner to more advanced? I would also like to beg Weld to start making kids dry tops. I, 
Join the crowd here, Travis. Kids, dry tops, or suits. Just one step smaller than IR's smallest women's garment would fit most kids we teach. Thanks. I love the show. So let's start with hanging the gates. That comes down to like the local land managers, I think, like we were talking about. And, Lewis, you're fixing that with your regulation, not red tape, correct? Uh. I mean, yes, finding somewhere to hang salon gates is a nightmare. We've talked about it here in the gorge forever. I mean, the place. Not only where... that, I mean, just finding a place to hang gates, period, regardless of all our issues, is really hard. I mean, you need a really special place to hang gates. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you want to be able to, I mean, you've got to be able to manage for the water level coming up and down. Ideally, you can drive there. It's not like in the middle of some river run, you know, like you got to be responsible for those things, not turning into debris in the river, which means somebody has to be showing up there all the time, like keeping an eye on them fixing them if there's a gate hanging in the water or whatever if there's fishermen around chances are they're going to cut the wires down um you, i mean you need you want a rapid that you can paddle back up to the top of ideally you need it to be deep like it's it's there's just like a million factors that make it a pain in the ass to hang salon gates and i don't know what the easy answer is i mean the place that you know john and i grew up paddling salon in dc has had gates continuously for 40 years and wait, wait, know. wait, wait, no, wait, for, the, for, the for, canal? no, no, for deck for decades. You mean that's not what I said 40, 40 oh, years, 40. Yeah, yeah. I thought you said four years. Yeah. As an FOR years. No, no. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's that, I mean, one. that place, I mean, that's, that place is besides artificial courses is one in a million, <clears throat> you know, um, so hard yeah. to find that kind of environment. I mean, maybe the move is just to, to have a really quick and quick and dirty gate system where you're hanging them off twine instead of proper wires and you go down there and just hang five at the beginning of the workout and pull them down at the end if you have like a narrow enough place where, you know, that process isn't too much of a nightmare. Um, oh, that yeah, process is a nightmare. It's tough. I mean, it's I feel tough. like this is it's one of the, the biggest obstacles to growing the sport, honestly. There's no doubt um, about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the shame is how good. I mean, he's on the right track. I mean, there's no better way to learn kayaking than slalom, in my opinion. Whitewater kayaking. I mean, besides paddling whitewater, you know. But what a great, what a great way to learn kayaking. Yeah. I what, mean, a, what about what drills are the most beneficial? Gosh, I don't Talk know, about man. the progression I mean, early on. Like, what you know? I, I think he's asking. You know, if I'm going to spend my time with these kids, what's the best thing to teach them? I mean, I'm sure Weld has thoughts on this, but I mean, I think for me, just starting, starting and working through the basics of technique, like in a, you know, a nice slow progression from like working on your forward stroke to working on sweeps towards building good technique around draws, good posture in the boat, just like good technique on all the basic strokes, which you can definitely do on flat water, no gates needed. I mean, one of the, one then, of the. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, and then moving into, like, the, you know, very basics of, of offset gates and upstreams. Something I always like is, you know, like, talking through with kids, like, what strokes they're going to take to run, you know, like, a nice, easy-ish, short coerce. Like, you should be able to, you know, describe all the strokes that you're going to take, trim down what strokes you're taking to, like, the minimum, you know, no taking bullshit strokes. Like, you can... Be like how many, how few strokes can you take to run this course or whatever, so that you're, you know, making sure that you're being super efficient. Everything you're doing has a purpose, and that you're thinking that through and sort of visualizing. I and mean, I think that's that's helpful. I mean, the most the most basic aspect of slalom, 
is is something that's so important in river running too and and that's understanding your trajectory of your kayak as it as it goes in and out of eddies um you know as your boat goes into an eddy and the nose slows down and the stern's out in the current it it it, it describes an arc and the same thing happens as your boat leaves the eddy and goes back out into the current it describes an arc um you know and, and and how you the angle at which you approach the eddy line and you make that transition just you know changes how the arc whether it's a tight arc or a wide arc um and slalom you know makes you think about that and understand that in a, in a way that you've never really thought about it before so that at this basic level you can cross the eddy line either going in or out of the eddy and be able to describe the exact arc you want with very minimal paddle work but then also know how to to alter that arc and to really charge into something by by doing either a stern draw to widen the arc or a bow draw or what we call a dufex stroke to tighten the arc um but that that examination of that phenomena in slalom gates is an awesome exercise that translates so well into whitewater um and so any place where you can put up gates where people are forced to consider those problems is such a great thing even an easy current and people can find it really confounding to do it well in easy current when they don't have practice. Yeah. I think just that process of sort of like analyzing problems and like doing the same course and the same moves over and over again, like connecting between like what you're seeing and what you're thinking with what you're doing rather than just doing everything by feel without thinking about it. You know, I think, you know, it's the same thing that you're doing when you're running class five, right? Cause it's like, you can't just go out there and wing it and hope it goes better the next time. It's like, you got to like look at that rapid and make a plan and visualize the plan and then execute on it. And I think, you know, especially for kids who are kind of just used to like winging everything, getting acclimated to that, like analysis aspect, I think right. is, is good. Sure. I like it. One thing I will say about hanging gates is that if you're going to put them there permanently, make sure they're well above the flood line. Because <laughs> somebody hung some gates on the French Broad River, and I was out there at like 20-something thousand CFS, and they were like right at waist level. And it came up, came up quick. So... That's all I'll say. Just do it. Yeah. It's like if you hang gates, like you got to be responsible. It's like getting a puppy. It's like you are responsible for that thing. Yeah. And as far as like learning technique, I mean, as much as you can cross currents, cross currents and turn upstream, cross currents and turn downstream, cross currents and go straight. I mean, that's where all of the difficulty in kayak happens is when, you know, different speed currents. One more listener mail here, and we'll see if James gets on. If not, I don't even know. I don't even know. Longtime contributor, writer, listener, Simon Wyndham, wants the details on the Ottawa River ban. It says here on the show note, what's he talking about? So what was going on? Are you guys aware of this on the Ottawa? No. So the Ottawa got really high this year. They had epic snowpack. The snows just kept going. It got to record flows. I think the highest it had ever been recorded. And they shut down all access to the river. They wouldn't let anybody um, commercially or recreationally get on the water until the water went down. So um, that's what he's talking about. They have since lifted that ban um, but they did have it in place for, I mean, close to a month. I know it was to the point where the guys, uh, oh, man, what's the big rafting outfit up there? They closed Ottawa for a month? For, for a long period of time. 
Yeah, all the access points and whatever. And it went way deep into the commercial rafting season. And the commercial rafting guys were like, look, we know enough to go on the other channels where the bad rap, you know, they w will adjust our course. You know, it's not a big deal. But they shut everybody down. And I know eventually they lifted that. But that's what he's what he's talking about there. Bunch of nanny state liberals up there in Canada, eh? Exactly. 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 Come down here to America. We're free. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> free to run Ohio Pile Falls at exactly one point seven nine. Dude, did you see, did you see the dudes who like took the commercial raft over the Ohio Pile Falls at high water? Yeah, I, saw, I saw that. Like, Good Morning America. Yeah, it was it, did, insane. Did you get the details on that? Yeah, it was just a group of rafters. You know, the yacht has has been flooding all summer, as with everything in the East Coast, and. Uh, it was the highest descent of the Ohio Falls, the highest water level descent of Ohio Falls that I know of. It has been <laughs> six feet or something. And these, these group of five people on a raft missed the takeout for the middle yacht and were floating over Ohio Falls. I mean... Dude, the video is priceless. If, they... I saw, if I saw that happening, I'd be like, these people are about to drown. There's no way they're going to make it out of that thing. And they kind of did all right. It, it didn't it's look fine. like a bad swim. They all swam out, but yeah. I think they ran if you, where they ran it. I think was the perfect place to run it. They were very fortunate in that regard. Because I've seen some bad swims in Ohio Pile Falls at low water during the during the freestyle over the falls competition. We used to be people getting subbed out for you know a good fifteen count, which is a long time to be underwater. Um, and this is at one seven. Hmm. <laughs> Did you see that video, Lewis? I think so. Dude, I was blown away. I laughed. I mean, I laughed pretty hard. All right, fellas. Well, we're going to have to push James back to the next show. I'm really interested in this whole, like, he has a video attached and all kinds of things that we need to study about the emancipator stroke. Hmm. Um, it's basically used to proactively escape unwanted hole rides, which I think all of us would like a stroke to get us out of holes. This is hurting my shoulders thinking about it. <laughs> the emancipator stroke? Yeah, it feels painful already. Well, at an hour and something, are we at two hours yet? God, we're so over time. I'm on the phone with you guys for two and a half hours. I'm going to go back to work. I know, seriously. Well, welcome to everybody's favorite part. What are you guys talking about? You guys, We haven't talked <laughs> in like, it's been six weeks or something, you know? I went through a state of depression there pulled myself out of it all right now everybody's favorite segment of the show it is our rants and raves this is where your hosts go on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave about something that is shining bright or dark and dim who would like to lead us off on this one i know that Lu oh, lewis is fired up go for it dude i got a rave man sick yeah, prepared it only took me six weeks of and i got a rave <laughs> <laughs> Everybody give a collective. <laughs> I'm going to rave about the U.S. Junior Women's K1 Slalom Team. Um, junior Worlds and Under 23 Worlds just happened in Krakow, Poland. Um, my good buddy, Scotty Parsons, was in town last week, and I got to sit around and watch the Junior and U23 Worlds with Scotty and Isaac which is just like the best time, like very hammer factor vibe. We discussed the possibilities of having 
YouTube channel that's going to be alternate World Cup commentary. <laughs> it's like Mystery Super Science fun. Theater meets Slalom. <laughs> Super fun. And, uh, but anyway. So Scott uh, Parsons, Scotty Parsons is a one of our country's best slalom K1 paddlers, right? Yeah, four-time right, Olympian, just, best paddler of our generation. Just to awesome. be clear on that one, yeah. yeah. Best male paddler So, of our anyway, we got to watch the Junior Worlds, and the U.S. Junior women just crushed it. All three girls in the final, uh, Madison Corcoran, Rhea Srebar, and Evie Weebar, who got a bronze medal and has been, like, she's 15 years old, I think, and just been, like, slaying in the World Cups. Like, you're not actually allowed to race senior world cups until i think you're 15 so she just turned 15 and promptly has like made the final in kayak and c1 in every world cup and i don't know i mean slalom has gone through some like pretty dark days here in the u.s i mean we i mean there's there's a handful of of you know legit slalom racers in the u.s for sure but like the field is not deep and it's just like super cool to see some really young badass paddler slaying i mean three boats in the final at junior worlds is like like that is legit and i don't know it's just really cool to see some uh some bright signs out there for the future of slalom in the u.s and huge congrats to to those girls on on slaying it at junior worlds it's sick to watch i like that one you know if you guys would have emailed me back i was gonna try and get one of those guys on the show hmm um, yeah, we should get Evie on. That'd be sick. Yeah. Maybe I could get her here in the studio. She yeah, just dude. lives right down the road. Uh, Mr. Weld. Yeah, I got a rave. Upper Yacht Race, 39th year. Record number of women paddlers, if I understand correctly, if, since we're talking women paddlers. Uh, my wife, Kara, uh, she, you know, it, the race gets put on with, you know, IR in conjunction with one of those Voyagers, but I think ostensibly Kara runs the, runs the show. So she, I want to give her props for doing that because it's, it's a lot of work for sure. But her goal next year is to have for the 40th year, 40 women race the upper yacht race, which would ah, be pretty close to half the field. That's a great goal. So women, women paddlers in the East Coast, take note. Next year, Upper Yacht Race, 40 women. But what a great race. I think it's the oldest, quote-unquote, extreme race in the country, right? Is there one older than that? I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, the definition of extreme changes from time to time. But, like, as a true, like, just downriver race like that, I mean, I can't think of anything older. Yeah. I don't know. What? So what? So what? what what do we do up there? You know, if you're going to bring people in, people are going to travel from all over the place. What's going to happen? They're going to get the race, obviously. Yeah. So we need a we need a campground. We need some place to build a bonfire and have a party. We need something. Well, there's talk about we years ago the Upper Yacht Race had a party associated with it. I think there's talk about bringing that back. They have a festival grounds there in Friendsville. I'm not sure exactly. Um, as with most of these things, I'm sure there's politics involved, or at least some considerations have to be made. Uh, to make this happen, but I think they're looking into that. But, um, I mean, the way it rains now, if you come to travel to the upper yacht, you're going to have a ton of whitewater to paddle while you're there. Certainly the lower yacht will be running. The cheat will probably be running the way things go. Um, so, it'll be a great time. Nice. Yeah. Well, I have a rave, and I kind of feel like I should come out with a rant because you guys all had raves. Um, you know, I can rant about the poop bags thing again. <laughs> because in Telluride, 
Mm. You think in Asheville it's bad? I mean, those mm. little cute poop bags, and they've got these cute little pink poop bags, and just all these. Are these colors. biodegradable? I don't know. I don't even understand the whole reason. Anyway, I don't want to get stuck on the rant, but that's my rant. Poop bags. It's out of control. It's out of control. They had to have a whole I've new watched... dispenser put in in Bent Creek because there's just poop and poop bags everywhere. My friend Walter Weber, who I think listens to the show, wrote in wrote me an email the other day about poop bags. Um, it's a thing. Oh, it's ridiculous. Um, but I want to rave about the squirt boating community and the Jimmy Cup that just happened. This is an event that's been going on for 20 years, tw- over 20 years. Um, next weekend on the Hiawassee River is the Downtime World Championships. This is the World Championships of sink boating, <laughs> which is different than squirt boating. <laughs> But anyway, I'm going to head over. I'm going to go over for the day. I'm going to sleep in a cabin over there and check it all out. And then you've got to check out, and I'll put them in the show notes. If you want to see some cool videos, Brian Knight brings this whole rig, scuba gear, the whole nine yards. I don't think he's got scuba gear, but he's you know out there in flippers and the whole nine yards. He has got the best YouTube channel. I'll put a link to it of all of these squirt. Oh, it's a Vimeo channel, actually, of all of these squirt videos he's put together. So I'm just going to rave about the niche of the niche of the niche squirt boning how long how long can you watch underwater videos of people doing mystery movies without getting nauseous dude you have to check out this youtube channel right i think so it's the cool video, and like when i so start the... watching it i feel like car sick in like 30 seconds no well, let me ask you a question so the video you're you watch a guy paddle to netty line and then disappear and then he's gone for some period of time, then he reappears. No, That's what you're watching. You're following him underwater, and there's fish, and he's dodging off things, and he's like going down, and you can see, like, you know, he's holding his breath. He wants to get to the surface, but he knows he's got to, like, you know, get hypoxic, and then he comes up, but then he's got a little boil, keeps him down. It can get stressful. This is the Downtime World Championship. Don't underestimate it. Leslie. Do you have a squirt boat, Grace? No. Mm. But I want to get that's another on one. Of, that's on my list of dubious low water summer activities I might have to get into if things don't improve out here. <laughs> it's either uh, it's either a surf ski or a squirt boat. You should get a paddleboard, dude. Get yourself a fourteen foot paddleboard. Get yeah, some well, we need to get, we need get some of those. Surf I'm gonna drug and... habit. I could just like <laughs> start doing doing opioids until the winter rains come. Yeah, well, we need to get those big <laughs> surf kayaks, those, those epic surf things. Just yeah, like, surf ski. Makes. Yeah, Dude, there's, there's like two for sale on Craigslist in the Dallas for like twelve hundred bucks each. Going on together. I want to get my, uh, my two ten lefty wing paddle back. <laughs> Dude, that's a crazy culture, man. I was talking to these guys who went to this race, and the current was a lot stronger, and they do moving water races and those things, but they're not, not with any kind of like hard white water. And this was on a big river. It was actually, I think, on the Ohio River. Or that was no, it was on the Missouri River, and they all like paddled out of this I don't know marina. It wasn't a creek; it was like a creek, but it was really just a marina where they dredged it out, and they like had to go out into the current, go down like a few miles, come back upstream around a buoy, and come back in. Well, dude, they had like eighty of these people, and those boats cost. I mean, what dude. did they cost? New five, six thousand dollars, something like that. Dude, this race that this race that was in the gorge here that Scotty was in town for the Gorge Downwind Championships, surf skis, Grace, you wanna you know take a guess how many participants there were? 
120. 800. See? Okay. So it was like a big crowd like that. Yeah. I don't know how many people it was. This town was thick with those boats. They were everywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was like, the... imagine like a, a, like a Prius yeah. with seven... <laughs> 20 foot long boats on top of it <laughs> that's exactly what it was like <laughs> so anyway they go they're in this race and there's just a mass people starting this marina it's a mass start event i i don't want to inflate the numbers but i know it was over 100 people and they go out into the current and the current was flowing a lot faster than they thought and just downstream is this parked barge Okay, like a big parked barge. <laughs> they go out in these boats that have like negative rocker. You know, they're just can't turn them. It's worse than this wild water boat that Weld about killed me in. And they go out in the current and dude, they all just get instantly blown sideways into this barge. And they are just all <laughs> flipping and going up. And on the upstream side of this barge, there's this dude shows me a picture on his phone. It's like pickup sticks. With these six thousand dollar boats <laughs> all tangled up on it, people are swimming, gasping. Oh my god! And what's the guy's name who owns Epic? He'd be good to Harry have Barton. on the show. Yeah, uh, yeah. Greg. You know they are all like pissed. They all brought these brand new Epic boards. They're like six thousand bucks. And dude, he's a genius. They all get out and he's like, "Send them to me. They'll be great practice boats. We'll get you in a new one soon enough." Sure enough, they all bought new boats. <laughs> like whatever. But yeah. I just. Just the picture he showed me in his description of all of these people just getting washed into this bar. <clears throat> Priceless. Anyway, that's it for this episode of The Hammer Factor. Thanks for listening. We'll be back the first of the month, so in three days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs>